Hello, and welcome to the Lessons from Lab and Life podcast. I'm your host, Lydia Morrison, and I hope that today's episode offers you some new perspective. Today, I'm joined by members of the nonprofit organization Reforest the Tropics, whose mission is to make a tangible contribution to sustainability by planting carbon capturing forests in Costa Rica. Dr. Herster Barris founded Reforest the Tropics more than 20 years ago. And today, the organization manages more than 500 acres of research forests on 13 farms in Costa Rica. And they do this for over 100 U.S. carbon emitters. Also joining us today are Chairman of the Board, Mr. Harry Hintlian, and Executive Director, Greg Powell. Dr. Barris, where did that idea to found Reforest the Tropics come from? Well, it starts when I was 12 years old, and my father knew that I liked languages and liked plants. And he said, what you should do is to go to Yale. We were living at Yale at the time. Mm. Go to Yale, study languages, go to the Yale School of Forestry and study forestry and then work for the United Nations. And so I did those first two things. I studied uh, Spanish and Portuguese, majored in that, and then the two more years at the Yale School of Forestry. And then I went to Switzerland to study European forestry I asked FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, at the end if there was a job for me in the field. And they said, no, but we have a desk job for you. And I said, no, no, I want a field job. i got to learn something. So I worked for five years with the U.S. Forest Service in Puerto Rico. Mm. And uh, at the end of that time, I was given a job in Cartier, which is a research organization in Costa Rica. And that's where we began our basic research in testing trees that could grow wood on farms. At that time, the forests of the tropics were being cut down. They still are being cut down. Mm. And the question is, some of the countries are going to run out of woods. And so if you can grow wood on a farm, that's so much the better. It's another farm product. Uh, Later, quite a bit later, after we had found some really interesting trees... I got a call from the planning office of EPA asking me to submit a project to the first stage of projects offsetting carbon dioxide emissions. Can I show them how we do it with tree plantations on farms? And that was approved by the Costa Rican government, by the U.S. government, and eventually by the U.N. And that's what we've been doing now for (laughs) a lot of years, 20 years well, thank goodness for your father's insight into your talents. <laughs> I know, I know. Thank you, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you identify which trees you're going to plant? Um, do you look into which ones are best at carbon capture? Um, so I think that one of the great advantages that Reforest the Tropics has is the history and the, the decades of research that were conducted by Dr. Barris. This a lot of what we've learned over the years is is come from those early trials um, and lessons from from uh, even some of our mistakes and failures. Mm-hmm. But um, having that um, long history of of research, we've also learned some some very important lessons of what does work. So um, some of those early trials resulted in some very promising trees. Trees are not really planted. Um, elsewhere around the world and we've utilized those to create a model that's quite unique in the world that is capturing more carbon than most other contemporary models but is also um, 
able to be economically sustainable by providing an income for the farmers, and that's key to the long-term success, success of any project. Mm. And how do you identify um, which local farmers you're going to work with in Costa Rica? Um, how do you find them? Um, we typically find our farmers um, through word of mouth. So we're at a scale right now where um, we don't have to actively search for new farmers. Um, oh, that's great. It's, it's, it's conditions where we're somewhat successful with the farmers we're working with and they're talking with their friends who might have um, you know, uh, some land available to plant on their own and, and show some interest. So it's a long road to get there from those early conversations to actually planting because our, our project and our model is so reliant on, um, on the, the farms following our uh, prescription, for lack of a better word. So we invest quite a bit of time um, having conversations, explaining why our model is different, preparing them for um, a little bit more of an intensive management um, than, than typical forestry pr- projects. Uh, we spend a lot of time setting expectations and then just building an interpersonal relationship, which is um, also very key for success in any sort of development project. So Dr. Barris, could you tell me how long it takes for um, a sponsored forest to become fully productive? It depends on the species of trees we plant, but we plant mixtures, and uh, if we measure our forests, which we do every year, we have dozens of graphs showing us how the sequestration occurs. And we found that our forests can start sequestering significant amounts of carbon dioxide from the age three to five. How much carbon does a um, fully productive hectare of forest capture? Well, we conservatively say 20 tons a year. 20 tons is a lot of tons. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of, yeah, that sounds a lot like a lot of carbon emissions. Yeah. Um, is it difficult to protect the forests from those who might be interested in cutting them down? In terms of protecting the forests, um, our biggest concerns are are not um, people coming and cutting trees down. It's more other natural um, elements. So especially in the early years of establishing a forest, um, there's a lot of competing ground vegetation that can either wipe out a young plantation or certainly stunt its growth. On top of that, we have um, leaf-cutting ants are are a major problem with a young plantation. It can can wipe out um, huge areas of a a new forest basically overnight. Um, So that's another area that we have to keep a careful eye on. Now, as the trees mature, we are planting some valuable hardwoods. Um, I have heard of instances on, on other projects and other farms where some of those valuable trees have been robbed. We have never faced that ourselves. Every once in a while, um, uh, we'll have a, maybe one or two trees cut down during our thinning process, which is necessary to uh, maintain our strong growth curves. Um, Maybe one or two trees that weren't marked by us will be cut down, um, but that's typically more human error than than anything sinister. Mm. Dr. Barris, how many um, emitters from the U.S. are involved in your project supporting forests? Well, at my last count, we had over 200 people who had donated from a dollar all the way up to thousands and thousands of dollars to enable us to do our research and to plant the forests in Costa Rica. 
We've planted how many forests, Greg, now? Uh, just about 80 with this year's plantings. Yeah, 80 forests. Each one is a separate project. Each one is measured separately. Uh, each one has a sign on it so that when you see pictures, the sign is the same, but the trees get taller and taller and taller. So, you know, we also have the uh, longitude and latitude of all of our forests, so you can see them on Google Earth. So it's really cool. a, a nice way of connecting people who are responsible for the emissions of carbon dioxide that we'd like to deal with and the forest. It's a connection that we really need to make. And the tropics where the trees grow so fast, and of course our trees grow even faster than that, the tropics is where to do the sequestration. The emitters from the U.S. are those um, academic institutions or private companies or public companies or a mixture? One of the uh, tenets I had at the very beginning, since this is a U.N. project and we're trying to figure out what, what is what, was to have an eclectic mix of emitters. So we have schools, we have individual people, we have families. Harry Hindley and his family's got three or four forests already for his own personal emissions. That is the sale of your family and your cars and the electricity you use. Uh, we have 14 schools involved. Uh, we have a teacher who goes to these schools and tells them what their forest is doing. And they have all those 14 have forests with us. We have Connecticut College. We have Yale School of Forestry. They have a forest with us. We have the Mohegan Casino. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's we great. have an electric company, the Connecticut Municipal Electric Energy Cooperative, uh, and we have Harry's business here, Superior Nut, which is the prime example of, of, of what it means to use a forest to sequester the carbon. I think, Harry, you could say something about that. Well, I could, but you, uh, we, there's another uh, uh, company that we uh, do forestry for, and that's Triumvirate, and they're one of your your uh, sources. One yeah, of your, we know Triumvirate yeah. Environmental. So mm -hmm. they have planted uh, five uh, tropical forests with us to offset their emissions. Oh, that's amazing, and they do such amazing work, too, because they're already working to um, turn recyclables into... Um, Mm -hmm. or clean recyclables for further purposes. Uh, what a nice connection. Yeah, yeah. John McQuillan uh, had the vision to see our project uh, many years ago and uh, subscribed to it. And his forests are doing terrific. Uh, so uh, that's one example. In my own company, uh, Superior Nut Company in uh, Cambridge, Mass., we're a food processor. Uh, we became the first uh, company in America to be 100% carbon balanced solely through its own newly planted tropical forest. So actually what we did is we actually stuck the seedlings in the ground. We didn't buy uh, these ubiquitous carbon credits and we uh, uh, didn't uh, do uh, any of the other things that uh, involve uh, the uh, the, um, uh, the trading markets and uh, so uh, we uh, our relationship is directly with the farmer We've actually planted so many trees that in, in another three years we'll be 200% carbon balanced. We're That's already uh, oh, about 150, 160%, and we'll be 200% uh, uh, in another uh, two years uh, without planting any more trees. Uh, I'm, uh, I've done my obligation, and uh, people say, well, why do you have to be 200% carbon balanced. And I said, 
in order to convince other people to be 100% carbon balanced, <laughs> I have to be 200% carbon balanced. So it's... Uh, but there's sure. another reason for that, the fact that it's not enough just to cut back our emissions to zero. There's too much CO2 There's in the atmosphere. There's time to reverse. Mm-hmm. Right. We have to take that out. And the only way we can do that economically right now is by planting trees. And we have the best model we think. Oh, what a great way to make being carbon neutral a more tangible process and connecting it with the environment at the same time. So rather than buying carbon offset credits, Reforest the Tropics is reconnecting people with nature. Now, when you think about it, it's very important for farmers, too. Um, We do not cut forests down to replant forests. We take open pastures that were cut down 50 years ago, if you will, and we ask the farmer, since this is a business venture for him, if he would please move his cattle, (laughs) and we plant up their pastures to trees. And the farmer benefits because our trees are valuable woods. And in our model, we plant the trees, we measure the carbon being sequestered, but of the amount of carbon or wood being grown there, which is essentially the same thing as the carbon, uh, we take a certain amount of those trees and thin them every five years after a certain point, and the farmer gets to sell those logs for his income. That's why he's doing it. And our goal is to make the forest permanent. We say 100 years, but... And so the income that the farmer would earn by growing um, a forest on these lands rather than, say, raising cattle on them, uh, are those amounts comparable? That is our, uh, one of our primary research goals, is to develop a forest that can outcompete um, uh, cattle on the same land. And the data that we are receiving and have been receiving for the last 20 years suggests that we can um, safely outperform the economic value of that land by planting trees. That has some major implications for the world. If we can convince tropical landowners to do something that's beneficial for all of us without making sacrifices to their own livelihoods, um, we have a much better chance at solving this climate crisis. The important part of this whole uh, uh, piece of redeeming ourselves for the damage that we've done to the environment uh, involves uh, corporations, uh, and corporations have to take a leadership uh, position in solving the climate change crisis. Uh, there's a couple of really important reasons for that. Uh, corporations uh, have uh, a decision-making ability that no other entity uh, or area of society has. Uh, a corporate CEO can make a decision to uh, implement uh, tropical forestry into their uh, carbon balancing. It can make that uh, decision instantly. Uh, corporations also have the financial uh, wherewithal to, uh, to support a project like this. Uh, so it's uh, really important for them to uh, provide that kind of leadership. Also, they're the largest emitters of carbon dioxide collectively. It's a perfect situation for involvement uh, for uh, companies. And uh, not only that, uh, it's uh, showing leadership to the rest of the world. For the employees uh, of the companies that are doing this work, uh, their children will see what their parents are doing, what their uh, uh, what the employees are doing, setting a good example. Um, Psychologists will tell us that 
we can tell our kids anything. We can try and say, do this, do that. But uh, our kids are going to end up uh, listening uh, to their peers and, most of all, following the example of, what, uh, of their parents. I have one more story, and that is about a farmer. This farmer's name is Carlos Manuel Rojas. He was Minister of Agriculture of Costa Rica, and when I knew the family and when I began to plant trees down there as a young forester, he said, I'm interested in doing this. My father cleared forest, 5,000 hectares, I believe was the number he told me, to make cattle, and I believe that I should pay society back a bit by reforesting some of these acres of pastures that we have. And uh, so I began to plant for U.S. emitters forests on his farm. And one day he came to me and he said, you know, I think our family should plant a forest too. And so he had his entire family, the babies and the brothers and sisters and cousins and uncles, uncles out in the field planting the tree one of the weekends and he has a nice forest now. So if our listeners are interested in becoming more involved with this or learning more about Reforest the Tropics, how can they do that? Uh, a good place to start is visiting the Reforest the Tropics website. We have a, a wealth of information available. Um, but we're also happy to speak with, with any interested party. So um, on that website, there's the contact information for myself and Dr. Barris. And, um, if somebody wants to shoot us an email or, or give us a call, we're, we're happy to, that's, that's what we do. We love to talk about um, you know, some of the, the accomplishments that we're seeing in the field, and I think uh, it's safe to say that we all really enjoy our work, so um, we're, we're very eager to share what we've learned. Well, I think we can all appreciate your work, um, and I'm sure our children will as well, <laughs> so thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and that you're inspired to think more critically about your own carbon footprint. Be sure to tune in to the next episode and be quite frankly astonished by what Professor Ron Weiss of MIT shares about the current state of synthetic biology and the amazing wonders that it has and will enable sooner than you think. The future, it seems, is at our doorstep. <laughs>